Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. We've been in a series called Wise Decisions Equal a Better Life, and this is the sixth week of our series, and I just want to say thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being here today. I know that if you're here today, present with us and online, you're the resilient, you're the survivors, you're the hardy Hoosiers. And as your pastor, as one of your pastors, as a senior pastor of this church, I just want to say, I love you, I appreciate you, you make it worthwhile to me. In, in so many ways. I serve the Lord, but I also get the opportunity to serve you. And, and last week, this last week, 34 years at First Christian Church. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not reminding you to say that. So you say, what? It, it has been way too long of a time. I'm not saying that. I can remember in 1988, 1987, 1988, some of you weren't born then going into the Family Life Center gymnasium, and for the youth pastor that I am, I walked in that room, and I just fell in love with the room. I just, I mean, I thought, gee whiz, there's so many fun things that we could do in this room for Christ. And in fact, over the years, in fact, uh, uh, about an elders meeting ago, I said, hey, has anybody ever been in the rafters up in the, in the uh, attic of that, that room? And CJ looked at me and said, and I raised my hand and he said, this is going to be a good story. <laughs> so, so they were asking because we were having some HVAC problems, heating and cooling problems, something like that. He said, Chris, why were you up there? Well, I had a structural engineer and we were just looking for ways to be able to swing off the, uh, off the ceiling in the Family Life Center. Yeah, that's, you're not laughing. You're not surprised. We designed some things and did some things up there. And so it's just been a great ride. If, if you are called of God and, and want to serve in a vocational way in either in youth ministry or student ministry, children's ministry, preschool ministry, or something like that, if God's calling you, this is something you need to do because you won't be satisfied doing anything else. And, and for, for someone who's been doing this for about 39 years, going to be on 40 years next year. Yes, I had ministries outside of First Christian Church before I got here. And I would just encourage you to follow the Lord and, and to follow His Spirit and do what you're called to do because there's nothing better than doing this. And in saying all of that, and if you're joining us online today, I'm going to get to preaching in a minute. In saying all of that, I just want you to know that there are ministries and churches that are struggling right now, and we're not one of those. We're living our best life, even though this is probably the hardest season in church ministry in my lifetime. This is we're living the best life as this congregation, but I was I'm in a cohort with uh, some some people, a cohort not a cohort, but a cohort. And I was just sharing with some guys, and we were talking about the Holy Spirit and working in ministry, and, and both of them just shared their heart and just said, man, we're really struggling. This has just devastated us. I don't know if I'm going to stay in ministry. And I have a melancholy side, which I don't let you see very often, that can go into throes of depression at times and, and frustration at times. I can do that. And I said, guys, I just can't go there. I said, 
God has taken us this far through this mess, and he's going to take us all the way. We just have to be faithful and resilient. And I would say that in an encouragement to you that God is doing a work through this time. And hopefully we will never, ever be the same after this because we've learned to rely on God. And he is faithful no matter what season. I love the song that we just sang, uh, The Highlands, because we've been through valleys, but we also have been on the mountaintops and it And God is there in the midst of all of that if you just look for him. So we're wrapping up a series today. Today's title, our our children's pastor does my titling for me, and he does a great job. I said, okay, John. And and he does that so that you can search the Internet and find this stuff. But the, the title today is One Question to Improve Connection. And if you've been with us throughout all this series then this is the most important message I will preach in the series. And this question that I'm going to be preaching about today is the most important question that you can ask. And in fact, this question has haunted me for the last four years. So so when it starts to haunt you, just know it's already haunted me. But it's improved and changed my life for the better and my relationships, my connections in this life for the better. And through this series, there's one big idea, and the big idea is this. There is often an often overlooked relationship between good questions and good decisions. And so I want you to add these to your decision-making grid, that filter that you use to make decisions in your life. And I I just want to quickly review for those that haven't been here and haven't heard all the questions. The first question was the honesty question. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? Really? When we look into the mirror, the easiest person to deceive is the person that we look at in the mirror. It's us. We can deceive ourselves. And we need to be honest with ourselves because we can't improve if we're not honest with ourselves. We can't change and grow. Second question is leg- legacy question, which is, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell when this is only a story? Because the decisions you make today are going to be the stories you tell in the future. And remember, we write our stories of our lives one decision at a time. And so what's your legacy going to be? What's your story going to be? And then we had the conscience question. The conscience question is, is there attention that deserves my attention? And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is living and active. That part of the Godhead is Christ on earth with us. When he says he will never leave us or forsake us, and when he says, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's presence with us. And so the Holy Spirit helps create that tension that we need to pay attention to. And so when things don't quite line up, when things, the puzzle pieces don't all come together, then maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking in that tension that we need to pay attention to. Last week we talked about the maturity question, and some of you are mature enough to ask this question. Some of you might need to mature a little bit, but the question is this, what is the wise thing to do? And remember the little jingle I taught you last week, which is, right or wrong, that is not my cue, but what is the 
wise thing to do. And our key verse for this series has been Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. And it is, read it with me, please. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And we've all seen this. In fact, you probably looked at your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, and you've said, don't they realize the direction they're heading is a bad direction? Don't they realize what the consequences of their decisions, how they will impact their lives and the lives of their loved ones? But the wise don't do that. They see danger and they hide. They take refuge. But the simple just keep on going. We've all seen that before. We don't want to be simple. Now today, the fifth question, the final question in the series, in in the grid that you're building for your decision making, is actually a connection question. It has to do with our relationships. Now, I had a friend who, who what I was accountable to, and he would say, Chris, what are you t- not telling me that you're concerned about? What do you hope I don't ask you about? In fact, because I have a counseling degree, I have a master's in counseling, I've been through some therapy, just so you know. I have been psychoanalyzed, and one doctoral student was particularly good at tearing Chris's brain apart. And I hated it because when I had to sit down, I had to put my force field up and I had to have my radar on because he could lead me down a trail where I I would reveal myself too much. I didn't want this guy in my head, so I had to be really, really careful. So questions can do that if we aren't careful. Now this question I'm going to share with you today is a terrifying question because it comes down to the core of who we are. This is the most terrifying question of all. But it also is the most clarifying question of all. It, it, it has been the question that helps make up my mind on how I should act, how I should respond. And the reason is, is because it brings clarity, and clarity is often the thing we need to push us past our resistance to making a good decision. You might be saying, well, Chris, you're a pastor. You probably don't have a lot of resistance. Oh, let me tell you. I don't know if you have conversations with the Lord like this, but I said, Lord, I don't really want to do that. I know that that's the right thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. It's the mature thing to do. I know there's a tension, but I just don't want to do it, Lord. You ever have conversations like that? You talk to yourself like that? You have struggles like that? Because this question, when asked and answered honestly and then acted on, has the potential to enhance the quality of every single relationship you're in. Your marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, friendship, neighbors, co-workers, people on your teams, classmates, it just does. 
but I just need to give you a warning. These la- the first four questions that we just discussed are questions that will greatly benefit you. When you ask and answer those four questions, you are going to benefit. It, it's within your own self-interest. But let me just tell you, this fifth question doesn't have the return on investment that the other four do. In fact, the final question is demanding. It is about making someone else's life better. But it may not make your life better. Just so you know. But here's the deal. Once I tell you what it is, and you know what it is, you cannot unknow it. That's the gotcha. And it's haunted me ever since I've known it, ever since it was presented to me. Now let me give you a clue. When, G- when you follow Jesus throughout the gospel, throughout his memory, he was constantly hinting at the fact that something new was on the horizon. That he was bringing something new. It wasn't the old law. It wasn't Judaism. It wasn't Old Testament. But it was on the last night of his life. Before what we now celebrate as the Lord's Supper. Actually in that moment, the night before he was crucified, he gathers his apostles and his followers together in that upper room for what would be their final Passover meal. What Jesus said would be his final Passover meal until the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb in Revelation. That's what he says. And he's finally revealing his intentions. And to begin with, he announces that he's leaving. He announces that he's leaving. Now, this had to discourage, this had to concern the apostles because, Jesus, you mean you're leaving? We're following you. You are going to be king and we're going to be some of your head guys on this earth. And you're leaving, and if you disappear, we might disappear. This is a little scary, Jesus. What are you thinking? What are you doing? The anxiety level was high because the Lord was saying he was leaving. Another thing about these questions, this question, and about these words, these words explain the event that we cling to when we sin and when we fall short, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It explains the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. And these words are also central to our experience as Jesus' followers. This is the core of who we are meant to be. The kingdom of God on earth is to be like this. And so when I read these words out of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, you're going to respond because you're church people. You are the faithful. You are the resilient. You are here on one of the worst days of the year. You say, well, I've heard that before. 
And what I would challenge you to do is to respond like you've never heard these words before. And I will tell you why they are so significant. Let's look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You say, well, Chris, I've known that since I was a little kid. Now, I want you to rehear this. This is a new command. In fact, our problem is is we've heard it so much that we really don't understand it. We have to rehear it with new ears and new eyes and a new heart. Because in this moment, Jesus establishes himself as the standard of love. He, He establishes himself. He says, this is what I am. And I want you to think about this. Now, they didn't need a new command. In the Old Testament, there were 613 commands. They were called the mitzvah. And the mitzvah means, the word means good deeds. And so if you followed the mitzvah, the 613 commands, you were doing good deeds. Some of them aren't even applicable right now. But they already had plenty of commands. Then Jesus in his ministry, he boiled them down to two. And, and you all know these two. Love God, love others. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And love thy neighbor as thyself. Love God, love others. But Jesus is setting the bar higher. He is saying, here's the standard. Love others as I have loved you. And let me demonstrate. The next day, he was going to show him, show them what love was. And that took him to suffer and to die on a cross. Now, we've heard that all before. We celebrate it every Easter. None of us have physically ever been present in a crucifixion. But if we were, we'd see how gruesome it was. And the people who crucified Jesus were experts. They would take him to the point of death, but would not let him die so he could suffer even more. And Jesus was saying, this is what love is. This is the standard that I am calling you to. And then he could have walked around the room or went around a room and said, let me, let me explain this to you even further. He could have said, hey, Matthew, do you remember when we first met? Matthew said, oh, yeah, I worked for the Roman government. In fact, I was allowed to steal from my fellow Jews, from my fellow Israelites. I made a lot of money. In fact, I had paid guards. I had an entourage that went with me. Because people hated me so much. But when I met you, Jesus, you loved me. You invited me into a relationship. She said, come and follow me. Yes, you love me. He said, the new commandment is to love each other as I have loved you. 
The new command, this brand of love, was to serve as the unifying and the defining characteristic for his new movement, the church. This is the defining characteristic, unifying characteristic of this body of Christ and every body of believers that is in the kingdom of God. This should be the number one characteristic, the identifying flavor, if you will, of the body of Christ. This new commandment, this new command, was to serve as the governing ethic. Do we love as Jesus loved? Because Jesus' followers would demonstrate their devotion to God by putting the person next to them, in front of them, as he would do the following, that following afternoon. That's, that's a pretty high calling, wouldn't you say? It's radical. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. But when people experience it, they are inspired because there's something otherworldly about it. The Apostle Paul said it best, that Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be leveraged for his own benefit. Paul says that in Philippians 2, that he did not grasp equality with God, but he suffered as a human just like us. So that sets all of this up for this connection question, the final question, which is this. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? This is the question that haunts me. Say this with me. What does love require of me? Let's try that one more time. Short and sweet. What does love require of me? In every relationship, every interaction, what does love require of me? This has caused me personally to have some soul-searching nights, to think about relationships and my interactions in those relationships. It's caused me to step back and, and, and change the direction that I would naturally go to a different direction. This is so simple, but it's inescapably demanding, and it intersects with every imaginable, imaginable relational scenario. Any relationship, any connection, it changes that. No matter how they respond to you, you respond in a different way. I'm telling you what. People don't know how to react at times. It's kind of fun in kind of a interesting, ornery way that you know that I am. Because they don't expect it. But here's the thing. Relationally, a lot of times we ask this question. How little can I get by with and stay in relationship? Don't we ask that if we're honest? Well, I can probably get by with this. I can probably get by with that. But no, what does love require of me ups the ante amazingly. Now, you're smart enough and emotionally mature enough to know what love requires of you most of the time, don't you? You know what love requires of you. And that 
that gets to our very core and essence of our being. But if you'll notice as you read the New Testament, and I hope you read your Bible regularly, that the authors of the New Testament did not add to Jesus' new command. They just tell us how to apply it. That's what they do. They just show us what that love looks like in action. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians to the church of Galatia, he writes this in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, some commentators, when they look at this passage, they say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then they'll put a colon mark there, and then then they describe love. It describes love as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this thing, there is no law. Because that's a description of what love is. And we could ask ourselves, are we patient? Are we kind? Do we practice self-control? Do we do what love requires us to do? And then if you have a question, you can, you can, when you're in doubt about these things, you max these out. The fruit of the Spirit. It's not about the gifts of the Spirit. It's about displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and the character and the quality of our connections and our relationships. And the Apostle Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 13. And you guys know this. You've read this before. He describes love, this sacrificial love that Jesus displayed on the cross in his sacrifice in this way. He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It loves, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. That is what love is. And here's the question. Aren't all these things what you hope for or even expect from the people closest to you? Isn't that what you expect from your spouse, from your siblings, from your parents, from your children, maybe not from your neighbors? But those around you, don't you expect to be loved and desire that kind of love? But is that a characteristic of who we are? If you're a Jesus follower, this is like asking, what does the Lord require of me? It's about the same. What does love require of me? Chances are, there was a time when you weren't interested in what God's love for you required of you, what he required from him. But, but you got to recognize that God didn't stop pursuing you when you were far from him. When you thought you were unlovable, God still pursued you and loved you and still loves you. God will never love you more 
than he does right now. He will never love you less than he does right now. So what does love require of you? The last few weeks, if you're following, I always leave you with three questions. Today I'm going to leave you with five. Five or what? Am I being honest with myself? Really? What kind of story am I going to tell when it's only a story? What is there a tension I need to pay attention to? What is the wise thing to do? And finally, what we talked about today, what does love require of me? Now, God loves you with a crazy, crazy kind of love. He demonstrated on the cross. Jesus died for you. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. But you have to make a decision to follow Jesus, to know him as Lord and Savior of your life, to repent of your sin, to be baptized into him, and to follow him. He says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And I've got to tell you, that is 100% true. I wouldn't want to do this life without Jesus Christ. And I hope you don't either, because he is with us. And he loves you. And I just want to encourage you to know him. Would you please stand as I pray this morning? Eternal God, Father, we are so, so very grateful for your love you have for us. And Father, I just pray that we would ask the question in our relationships, in our connections, in our life. What does love require of me? And in that way, Father, that that would be a defining characteristic of our life together and personally in our relationships. That, Father, others would know your Son because our love for them. That others might come to a saving faith. That they would become a follower of Jesus Christ because there's no better way. Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?